Welcome to the Jam Session Radio Hour. So happy to have you aboard once again. And uh, we are continuing our series of interviews with jazz greats. Uh, we have brought you through the auspices of NYU and the jazz interview series there. We've brought you uh, Mike Maneri, Tom Scott, Peter Erskine, Richard Bona, John McLaughlin. Who am I forgetting? Uh, just some great, great people. Uh, all around, and tonight we bring you another good one. And this one, uh, I was fortunate enough to do the interview myself. It's an interview of Morris Goldberg. Morris Goldberg um, is a veteran of decades of jazz, decades of entertaining people, and bringing them his kind of lighthearted soul saxophone, clarinet, uh, penny whistle. He's done some just some wonderful things in his career. Met all kinds of people. Worked with Harry Belafonte. Worked with Hugh Masekela. Did work for Paul Simon. Uh, just uh, some really good stories here in this interview of Morris. And one of the things that brings us closest to uh, him, closest to our hearts, is the fact that he has played over the years since 2008 with uh, the Jam Session. I mean, how lucky are we to have someone as um, as joyful and soulful as Morris Goldberg play for Bayberger, uh, uh, a now historic jazz, uh, I'm sorry, burger joint, uh, uh, slash jazz joint, on Thursday nights anyway, for 10 years, in, on, the, on the outskirts of Sag Harbor. It will live in uh, the memories of many, and we will bring you back some great jazz music, if not necessarily the great Bay Burgers, uh, once again, and we have that to look forward to. But right now, I'm looking forward to having you guys experience the enjoyment of listening to my interview of Morris Goldberg. Uh, in January 2021. And we're lucky to have Morris Goldberg with us. Morris, who's been a, a great participant of the Jam Session over the years. Um, and we want to hear about his uh, career in music and what, what brought him to the U.S. and how he got into the music that he got into and the great kind of style he has of playing and the kind of music that he does. So, Morris, you were born in South Africa? I was born in Cape Town, South Africa. I grew up there and left Cape Town at the age of 23 and uh, went to London, and uh, then from London went to New York and enrolled in the Manhattan School of Music. But you had, so when you went to London, were you already, were you looking to, pers to pursue a, a career as a musician? Yes, I was a musician though. Uh, I, I played music in Cape Town. I studied uh, with a, a clarinet player in, in the local Philharmonic Orchestra, and uh, I came, I came to jazz through uh, records, listening to records, and, and, and uh, started playing jazz as well with local pl uh, players. And what, what gravitated you to the clarinet as opposed to some other, some other instrument? Well, that's an interesting story. Uh, when I was 12, I asked my father to buy me a clarinet, and he said no, because uh, I said, why? He said, well, musicians... I don't get treated well. <laughs> so uh, I begged him for two years and finally he, he bought me a clarinet and we went to the store. When we got to the store, he said, you know, I used to play the clarinet. Uh, I didn't believe him, but uh, he took the clarinet and he could play. He still had the embouchure and uh, he hadn't touched an instrument since he left uh, Lithuania, Russia in those days. And uh, he left his, that world behind and 
didn't play music after that. So anyhow, that's that's how I got to the Kelowna. It must have been sub, subliminal. Did you have a mentor in, uh, you know, when you, uh, so what age were you when you got that clarinet? Uh, 14. You were 14. Yeah. And did you teach yourself from records? No, no. I uh, I studied with a, t- a clarinet player in the local Philharmonic uh, Orchestra. And and I played in the, in a st- this uh, student orchestra where I was going to, I was going to the college of music and uh, I was sitting next to a gentleman by the name of Galt McDermott. I don't know if you know that name. Galt McDermott. No, he wrote hair. He wrote the music to hair. He wrote hair. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. It is quite serendipitous. Yeah. Uh, and he, 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 he was living in Cape town. His father was uh, uh a representative of the Canadian government. Anyhow, he said to me, have you ever heard Duke Ellington? I said, no. So he put, put me onto Duke Ellington's music. That's how I got to know Duke Ellington's music. And uh, I, further to that, uh, I used to live next to a, a near, very near a friend who was a bass player. And he used to get all the latest LPs from uh, the U.S. and I listened to jazz uh, every day. Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, uh, Art Blakey, Horace Silver, all of this, the old masters, Thelonious Monk. And that's how I got to learn uh, to play jazz. So then you left South Africa when you were 23 and you went to London, but before that, in that time from 14 to 23, that's 10 years or so, yeah. You were you were still so you were absorbed in jazz, but you yeah, were also uh, you were also absorbed in in, a, in South African music or African music. Uh, not so much, not so much. It, it was around, you know. Of course, there were these little groups on the street corners, but uh, I became more involved with the South African music when I was in New York. Um, I did. I I met Hugh Masekela when I. Uh, when I was uh, 17 and uh, in Cape Town. And I played with him in, in South Africa, which was very difficult because of the apartheid system. Uh, but uh, I really got into being aware of my roots when I was away from my roots. So, okay, so you, but you met UMass Kayla in, in South Africa, so you're already playing. Is that oh, yeah. how? Yeah. That's how you met him. Yes, I, yeah. was, I was playing. I was playing saxophone and clarinet. Yeah, and, and uh, I, when I went to the US, I went there because I decided I was going to make music my, my career. Uh, and uh, I went to study at Manhattan School of Music. So... Uh, and at that point, but at that point, you'd already been a prof- you were a professional musician. You were already had had your career yes. had started. Yes, as a matter of fact, uh, before I got to New York, I worked on a ship called the Queen Mary, and I was in one of the bands. I played on that ship for nine months, and that's how I got to New York. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know if I mean. There clearly is still a lot of uh, uh, music that goes on in the ships, but uh, maybe not these days in the middle of COVID. Um, no. But you, um, was that good training for you, playing all that, playing on the ship for nine months? 
it was okay. Yeah, I mean, okay. it, was, it was a gig, and it allowed me to uh, accumulate some funds, and also uh, to when I got to New York, we got to New York every two weeks, back and forth. The ship went ah, back and forth, right? From Southampton, England, uh-huh. to New York. And every time I got to New York, I would organize audition and and whatever I needed to do to get into the school. Right. And then uh, was Manhattan School of Music, that was, um, did that take in a different direction in terms of what your music was? Well, it was, I studied classical clarinet there. Classical. Yeah, with a teacher, Leon Roshanoff. But then I also studied jazz with John Mahegan, who was, uh, a teacher and pianist from New York, and uh, he he was the first. He wrote the first jazz harmony books, and, mm. and so that was uh, my my studying in terms of jazz. And of course, at night we used to go to the clubs, Birdland, uh, and that's what our education was was in the clubs as well. Well, when you play and when you play with the jam session, it's clear to see how much you love to play. Um, and, you know, it comes through, it obviously comes through in your music. And I take it that that's kind of sustained you your whole life and career is, is loving yeah. to play. Oh, yeah. I love to play. And uh, it's just uh, almost an obsession, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And it was, was, it, was that kind of clear to you from them? you know, from the time you were young and you were just starting out with a clarinet. It was just uh, something that you just loved. It was something that I loved, but my parents told me I had to study something else. Yeah. And I became a pharmacist. <laughs> okay. And you, you, you actually were a pharmacist for a period of time? Yeah. I worked, I worked in a pharmacy, different pharmacies, for about three months after I graduated and put enough money together and left Cape Town. Okay. <laughs> but but when I was going to school in New York to Manhattan, I worked in a pharmacy to pay the rent. Nice. Right. And talk about those days in New York when you'd go to the club. Were there a lot of players around at the time? Was it, And what was it like trying to get gigs um, after Manhattan School of Music or during that time? Oh, my goodness. The first musician I heard when I came to New York was John Coltrane. Mm. And uh, that was... I was in shock just yeah. listening to what he did. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we inhabited the clubs uh, as often as we could. As I said, uh, we were all broke, of course, going to school, students. But then I, uh, I hooked up with uh, Hugh Masekela. I He was going to school at the same time as me. Right. We were, and he had actually invited me to, to stay with him uh, when I first got there. So, uh, I lived with Hugh and Jonas, he's the trombone player. The three of us, we were three South Africans, and we were going to Manhattan School of Music. And then Hugh formed a band, and one of the first gigs we did was we played at the Apollo Theater. And in that band was Eddie Gomez, Larry Willis, and uh, I can't remember the drummer, mm-hmm. Hugh and myself. That must have been an experience. So uh-huh. were you able to then kind of, Drift away from farm, uh, uh, being a pharmacist and make your living as a musician? Oh, yeah, yeah. The pharmacy was just, as I said, I worked part-time to, right. for food and rent, you know, and, and that's, that stopped once I graduated. And loving, well, let's, let's talk about the, um, the music 
you know, the, the, the style of music that you've, that you've developed over the years and what you like to play. I mean, if I, uh, and some of the people that you've played with, um, and the, some of the names that I've seen that have just come up, for instance, in, 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 uh, online are uh, Tony Bird, uh, Gary Creel, um, and uh, Cecil uh, Ricca. Is that right? Yes, yeah, Cecil Ricca was a, a drummer. Actually, Cecil also came to the U.S., and he, uh, he worked with Peggy Lee for a while, and, and then with Peter Nero, and then he went back to live in South Africa. Um, but uh, in terms of, of, of the style, people used to tell me that I played with a different rhythm f from, from the American musicians. And uh, I, I wasn't aware of it, but when I became aware of it, I realized that the, the rhythms and the melodies from South Africa were ingrained in me. And I, I consciously started to... Uh, to to use and to use those rhythms and melodies, and that's how I I started working on uh, uh, my own music and which I call Safro jazz, and uh, became uh, it became something you know that that I that stuck with me. That's right. that's my 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 way of playing. It's kind of like like your your trademark. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you find that's been the case with other musicians that you've encountered from Africa that have gotten into jazz? Uh, yeah, definitely. Because, you know, we, we definitely, we play with a different feel. Uh, and uh, of course the jazz is the, the, the big influence, but uh, I mean, when you look at, at, at jazz, how it's proliferated and, you know, you have Latin jazz, uh, you have, African jazz, South African jazz. It's where you come from. You add, you add your little two cents to it and it makes that, that little difference.
You're listening to WLIWFM in Southampton, New York. Also heard on WLIW.org slash radio. Long Island's only NPR station. And you're listening to the Jam Session Radio Hour. I'm your host, John Landis, and we are interviewing Morris Goldberg. And what is it if, if somebody, so you've had, your band now is Ojoyo, right? Tell us about Ojoyo. And is Ojoyo a band you've had for a long time? Is it a successor to other bands? Yeah, Ojoyo is a project that I started. Uh, I was working with Yuma Sakela for many years on and off. And then uh, after that finished, ended, well, it didn't end, but at one point it did stop. I, I decided I wanted to write music. I was, I was hearing music that was influenced by South Africa. And that's how I started the Ojoyo. I put this band together and we used to play uh, at a club called, uh, I can't remember the name. Uh, it, it was, oh, La Barbat, that's it. La Barbat. La Barbat was on 57th Street and it had been a recording studio. Then it became a nightclub and we used to play there. And was actually, it known as a jazz club? Uh, no, it was a it was a club that was they featured different musics. Okay, but but in the sixties, I played in the jazz clubs when I first was coming out of school. I played with many different people. Uh, uh, I played the Village Vanguard uh, the, and all the clubs on Bleecker Street. All those clubs, uh, as a matter of fact. Um, uh, there was a club called the Cafe Agogo. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I was the music director for the singer. Actually, he was also from South Africa. And um, I had, we had a, 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 an engagement there for quite a while, seven weeks. And, and uh, I, had the, uh, I had the pleasure of playing with uh, Larry Willis, as I mentioned before, and Eddie Gomez. But then for one week after that, I uh, had Herbie Hancock and Ron Carter playing with me. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. A lot of fun, yeah. Yeah, well, that was the 60s? So, yeah, about 65, somewhere. So the, uh, when you look at the jazz scene in New York, uh, you know, back in the 50s, the 60s, uh, 70s, I mean, I know this is all in your brain, and you, you went through all those periods, but is there, is there a period in particular that sticks out as kind of a heyday of, for all you guys playing, or is it just continued? Well, well, in terms of playing, uh, it get it got for me. It got better later on, but uh, but the sixties were, uh, in terms of absorbing the music, and in the clubs, it was wonderful because you were you, you were close up to all these giants like Monk, Miles Davis. You were right there, you know, uh, John Coltrane. Uh, Etc. Etc. Yeah, Miles Davis. All these people playing in the city. Yeah, in the clubs they were in the clubs. They, they were in the know. club. Yeah. Yeah, and then we—I um, don't want to jump too far ahead, but it's kind of fun to jump around because somehow yeah. you got out to the East End and you played with—you uh, played at Bayburger with us all in the, the jam session. Now that's you yeah. know how did how the heck did that happen? Well, uh, I. Uh, I I was doing a, I did a, a TV show, the Rosie O'Donnell show, and that lasted about six years. And uh, 
during that time, we decided to look into living uh, in East Hampton. We bought a house and we, we used to go there on weekends. And uh, I, I didn't play, I bought the house in 2000, the year 2000. And I didn't play in the East End until 2008. I went, I went to Bayburger one night in 2008 and sat in, and that was the start of, yeah. of my uh, sojourn in East Hampton. So that night you went to Bayburger and sat in. Um, yeah. You were just going for a burger, and you just happened to have your, your uh, saxophone in the car? Well, I heard there was, there was music. Yeah, you heard there was music. Uh, as yeah. uh, Jam says, so I took my horn and I knew. I was, well, I describe to... for people who, who you know, I'm, uh, we've got listeners who know the Jam Session and miss it uh, since it's been away for a while. But, yeah, I mean, you played, you, so that means you played with us for 10 years. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, uh, I, I remember clearly the first time, the first song I played, was uh, Sonny Rollins, Saxophone Colossus, as it was called. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think I surprised people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you must have been surprised, too, that there was this like funky little uh, burger joint in uh, San yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. It was great. I mean, from then on, I used to go down every Thursday almost when I was in town. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, Who were some of the other people that you remember playing with at Bayburger? At Bayburger, oh gosh, it was uh, Bill Smith, Bill O'Connell. Um, I was uh, well, Randy Brecco was there, Ada, Ravati, uh, and uh, of course Clace, who ran it, Clace Brondal. I mean, he's, he's done such a great job for music. On the East End. Uh, here, here. Yeah. Sipiagan. You played with Sipiagan, right? Uh, yeah, Alex Sipiagan. Right. And and then uh, what was his, uh, Oscar Feldman? Yeah, lovely player. Uh, he comes from South America. Yeah. Um, and and also you had a long stint of playing with the Jewish Community Center. In East Hampton. Yes, I did. Every summer, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Pierre Schoenheimer who just loved the music, the South African suffragettes, and he sponsored a concert every July for about seven or eight years at the Jewish Center. It was a wonderful series, actually. And we played mostly my original music and of course, some Hebrew themes as well. Yeah. I, I only got to go once. I wish I'd gone more. It was so good. And the night, I, the day I went, I heard uh, uh, the woman from The Lion King. Oh, yes. Tzidi uh, uh, Laloka. Yeah. Yes. Tzidi was a wonderful singer. And uh, we, we hooked up and we've, we've done quite a few things. Yeah. She's actually in South Africa now. Yeah. Your music is so melodic and um, sweet, and, and the stuff that you've written, of which we're, we're going to hear some during this broadcast, um, um, you just write beautiful themes, and so many of them are just uh, are happy and light and sweet, and I'm sure you've heard that many times, but 
Um, tell us about your writing and uh, how that happened. Well, um, yeah, I'm told that my music is uplifting and, uh, but you know, in general, South African music is uplifting. It's, it's, uh, it has a, 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 an uplifting, a bright quality about it. And uh, I just have been influenced by that uh, as well. Well, I have, I also have been told that I have a little Mediterranean influence in my writing. Uh, and uh, it just comes out. I just let it come right. out. Well, when you play, um, you'll play a song that you've written, but then you'll also, obviously, you're a great um, improvisational player. How do those two things blend? If you're playing a song that you wrote 20 years ago, will you still get off on improvising in that tune? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, there's always this... It's never ending the the the, the roots of improvising, uh, because see you, it's it's off the cuff, you know, and it's it's uh, you just take it where whatever comes into your head. Yeah, play. yeah, so it's, and it's never the same. Yeah, and it's also you're generous with other players. I mean, that's kind of what it's that's part of what it's about, right? Uh, oh yeah, I mean, I just love it when when everybody else plays. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, so should solo, uh, or as, as many as, as solos as as the the gig allows. <laughs> right. I mean, at Bayburger, which was I know kind of unusual, but uh, on a summer night with a packed house, there could be six horn players waiting to take uh, um, to take their spot. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you would just like you go through the queue and you got you finish yours and you go back to the Back of the queue, and then of course yeah. people want Morris to come back on. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, oh, everybody has to have a shot. <laughs> have you, um, have you in your life been able to mentor other musicians? Uh, well, I've taught a uh, few people, yes, and. Uh, you enjoy that? Oh yeah, yeah. I, love, I, mean, I taught actually. I taught for five years at the the Russ School. You know the Russ School. Of course. Yeah, I took the jazz band, and uh, I loved it. Yeah, we had a great time. Uh, I took over when uh, from the late um, oh, what's his name? I can't think of his name now. Um, Al McCusick. Yeah, he was a wonderful musician, and he wrote a lot of music for the for the students. What you know, he, he didn't use stock arrangements. Right. arrangements for them and I started doing that too so it was a lovely experience uh, playing you know stuff that I'd written as well and whatever we had I, I wrote for whatever we had same as he did you know so one one year we had a kid playing cello <laughs> in the jazz yeah. band yeah yeah great yeah has your music taken you around the world Clearly. Uh, oh yes, yeah. I mean, I worked for many years with for Harry Belafonte, and we traveled all over Europe, uh, Canada, uh, and the uh, Caribbean as well. And the same thing with uh, Human Sakella. We traveled all over the country and all over the world. 
And 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 a lot uh, of touring in in Africa. Did you get a chance to play a lot in South Africa and other parts of Africa? Uh, not other parts. I played uh, in the nineties. I went back to South Africa oh, many times. Played uh, jazz festivals and 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 uh, concerts, etc. Yeah. I, in fact, I remember one time I went three times in '92. Yeah, back to South Africa to play. Now, people often—I uh, know this—you know, there's seminal things in your life. One of which is the penny whistle solo on uh, Paul Simon's song, which um, I don't know if that's—I'm uh, sure you consider it a feather in your cap. But people do mention it when they talk about you. But did your yeah. connection to Paul come through Africa? Yes, uh, uh, it's a funny story about that, actually. I, I was playing tennis one day, and I called, after I finished, I called my, uh, for my messages, and there was a message from Paul Simon. And uh, so I called the number, and he said, I'm looking for a South African penny whistle player. Now, I didn't play the penny whistle in growing up in Cape Town, but... Uh, folk singer that I worked with Tony Bird I he, he wanted me to play the penny whistle and I learned to play it with, and I used uh, that's how I came to the penny whistle and anyhow so I I said yeah I play the penny whistle and he, he said okay can you come into the studio I said yeah when he said now so I went rushed home and uh went into the studio, right track recording studio, and played the solo. Nice. Yeah. Now, they, they were able to, to capture it in that, in that first take, or did you have to repeat it? No. I, I, the first thing I played, he, he, then he said, uh, can you play something like more uh, orchestrated, more of a part? Uh -huh. So then I came up with, with what you, what, what you right. hear. And then after that, he said, can you play that again? <laughs> so I had to learn what I played. So I had to learn it phrase by phrase and oh, play it nice. again. Nice. And had, did you play with him again? <laughs> uh, no, I never went on tour with him. I, uh, I played two gigs with him, and that uh -huh. was it. And I did Saturday Night Live with him. Yeah, yeah, once. Oh. When, when he first was was, was uh, started playing uh, the Graceland album. Okay. Tell us about Harry playing with Harry Belafonte. It's just another incredible seminal figure in music. Yeah. And uh, politics. Yeah, yeah. Harry was he was a hard worker. We rehearsed for hours and hours. Because he he wouldn't allow music on the stage. So you had to learn everything, put it in your head and just on stage. So everything had to be uh, memorized uh -huh. and uh, that's why we rehearsed for hours wow yeah a lot of rehearsal we'd rehearse for two three weeks before we went out on tour sometimes so some of his concerts must have been amazing uh, and so yeah. welcome it's, oh yeah yeah I mean it it, uh, it it was great I mean we played again we played all all over the country all over the Europe Canada, yeah. 
You're listening to WLIWFM in Southampton, New York, also heard on WLIW.org slash radio. This is the Jam Session Radio Hour, and you're listening to an interview that we did in January 2021 of Morris Goldberg. Was there ever a time since you've been playing for so long, thank goodness for that, that um, there was, there was, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know, disco that time, or there was a lull in your career, uh, you know, musically and because of... Yeah. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. There, there, there was. Yeah, times were bad. It's uh, in the seventies, in the seventies, and the and then early, early, just yeah, in the late seventies. Yeah, yeah, mostly um, just because of a, of a of a an ebbing interest in your music. Oh uh, well, that yeah, but and I know. Well, I I used to to pay the rent. I used to play with the wedding band as well. So that was. <laughs> so, is that how you got on the Ro- on the Rosie O'Donnell show? Oh no, no, no. Uh, uh, I I got on the Rosie O'Donnell show because a guitar player that I worked with with Harry Belafonte. I I worked with him for about a week. He was only on for about a week or two. He recommended me to to John McDaniel the the. The band leader. That's why I always say to 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 people, to musicians, students. So whenever you work, doesn't matter where you are, you play your best. You never yeah. know what's going to happen. So with the Rosie show, that was a live show, right? Yes. yes. So you were playing live. Yes. Yeah. And um, my wife was a big fan. I don't remember the Rosie show very well, but Rosie's. She's a pretty wonderful person, I think, in a lot of ways. Would, would she interact with you guys in the band? Uh, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, she did, yeah. She actually plugged my first, my two Ojoyo albums when I did come out with them. Uh, she, you know, she played them on, on, the, on air. How many Ojoyo albums have there been? Uh, three so far, yeah. Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact... Uh, a record company is reissuing the first one in a few months, and I have uh, I have my son uh, working on it and editing and mastering it, and it sounds he's doing a fantastic job. Just, Do you live in New York? No, he lives in LA. Mm. Yeah, he moved to LA. So he got into music because uh, of his dad, maybe. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. yeah, he was a drummer. He played drums. Yeah, but now he's just involved with studio work. Yeah. Has he been busy through uh, the virus? No, 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 not that busy. No. And how about your other musician friends and and you? What's it, what's it been like? Oh, it's been terrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's just nothing. Uh, uh, you know, we used to work a lot. Uh, I used to play with. Uh, with actually with my nephew David Bravo, he plays keyboard, and with Bagiti Kumalo, the bass player who plays with Paul Simon, who did all the, the Graceland work, and we we haven't played, we don't play anymore. I mean, the only thing that I do, aside from practicing, is uh, I started learning how to record with the computer and you know send files. To people who wanted uh, a saxophone line or clarinet line, or right? Thing. So that's that's what I did. 
that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. There's no live. One of, great, one of the great things about hearing you play live is is all the different instruments that you that you play. I mean, I've always loved the clarinet, and I have uh, to say, I don't. Maybe I heard one other person at Bayberger play the clarinet, but I'm not sure. That might have just been you in another in disguise. <laughs> but you you would take it out at Bayberger. Yeah, yeah, I played the clarinet a lot at Bayberger, definitely. Right. And and I've written a few originals for the clarinet, yeah, aside from standards that we played. But, uh, I love playing the clarinet. It's it's a difficult instrument. Are you still you're still writing songs? Uh, actually, I have been writing. Yes, uh, I, I plan to to do another album at some point and. You know, use the new material. Well, again, your melodies stick in in the in one's brain. Um, you know, you'll play a song and then of yours, and then I'll hear it. You know, having gone to Babergirl all those years and heard you two years, you know, a year later, and you'll play that song and it's like, ah, oh, that melody. I love that melody. <laughs> and that's not true of of a heck of a lot. I think of of you know jazz or music just in general. Your melodies are very. Um, ingratiating and and they and so is that the way a song in your mind will get written is that you'll come up with a, a fragment or fragments of a melody and stick them together yes uh I, i'll hear something in my head and and then i'll pl uh, fool around with it either yeah. on the piano or the keyboard i should say or on the saxophone right and, and uh, that's how that's how it works yeah and then working with vocalists, is that something over in your career that you've, uh, that has been uh, a good part of your career? Or uh, I know yeah, some, uh, I've, like I've, it, some don't. Yeah, I've, uh, I enjoy doing that. Uh, yeah, I actually worked, uh, I was listening to a, a, uh, a video of uh, Judy Collins, who I worked with uh, in the early 2000s. 2000 and something and she did a concert at uh wolf trap yeah and uh I, I played penny whistle on there but irish style uh -huh. uh, not south african style and and uh i was i was listening to that i enjoyed doing that with her yeah was that with with more of an orchestra behind, or was just? Uh, she had, she had a, a band, not an orchestra. She had a band. Yeah, right. guitar, bass, drums, keyboard, and myself. Yeah, uh, but nope. I didn't I didn't work much with her. I mean, that was wow. a one time thing, and a recording as well. And but I enjoyed that. But I used to I used to really enjoy playing f uh, when I worked with Harry Belafonte. He always had a guest artist uh, tour tour with him, and uh, at one point it was Maria Makeba. Uh, then it was another South African by the name of Leto Mbulu, and then it was uh, a uh, a beautiful singer who is very well known now in the jazz field, and that's Diane Reeves. Uh huh. And she, yeah, she, and I really enjoyed that. The other day I was watching um, 
I guess uh, Belafonte has always been, as I say, political and on the left, and but he was he was a, a major part, I think, of the civil rights movement. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it must have been quite something to travel with him. Um, so has has Ojoyo over the years have there been many changes uh, in personnel? Oh yeah, uh, I mean right right now. Um, as Ojoyo, I, I I don't even have that band together now because we don't play. Yeah. But uh, what what we've in the last few years I've been playing as a quartet, but it hasn't even been under the name Ojoyo. It's okay. just been South African All Stars. We called ourselves South African All Stars. Yeah, that was with Bagiti Kumalo and David Bravo and myself, and different drummers.
and and we but uh Ojoyo uh, when I first started playing at the Barbat uh the trumpet player in my band was uh, Chris Bote where's he uh, from Chris comes from uh I think Oregon okay yeah he's had a great career yeah he's having a wonderful career yeah but so I remember one time we were setting up and this sound guy comes up setting up the mics and he turns to me and he says, your trumpet player is going to be a big star one day. And he was right. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, yeah. Some of the other uh, highlights that kind of stick in your mind, um, if there's anything you want to share in that regard. And then the other thing I'd say maybe in closing, cause this, I'm sure you're getting a little tired, but uh, uh, would be, you know, kind of what would you pass on if you had to student to students out there, um, if you if you had a chance to say a few things about that? Practice. 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 You have to practice, and and you got to love the horn or the whatever it is you play. And, and and like I said before, whenever you do play, always play your best because you never know who's listening. And I can t say that from experience. All right. I mean, who would have thought that I would get a call for a TV show from somebody who I played with for one week? Yeah. Uh, Tom Scott tells a story about being asked to play at a girls' school. It was a show-and-tell kind of thing. And he said, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll go do that, you know. And, and one of the girls in the class, her father in L.A., was like some big producer. And that got him... A theme for a TV show. Exactly. So those are the two things I would advise musicians, upcoming musicians. Yeah. Well, Practice, cool. listen, listen to live music if you can, and always play your best. Yeah, live music is just, uh, it's, 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 it's something. It's, it's great. It's, it's when a, and, and people think of Bay Burger as kind of a, a golden age out here. It's like, oh, yeah. I want that burger, but I want the music. You know, yeah. we'll do it again. Once this virus is, is, is over, we're going to find a place. Yeah. Play regularly. Oh, yeah. I miss it. <laughs> yeah. Well, once again, we have to thank you for joining us in the Jam Session Radio Hour. We hope that you have been enjoying the continued edification and entertainment of listening to these really bright, energetic jazz uh, musicians and scholars. Tonight, we had the enjoyment of hearing Morris Goldberg and some of his views and some of his, his life story. It's, we just scratched the surface. There's so much more to learn from all these people and from all of you out there. So thanks for joining us once again. We want to, add, we want to thank all those who've helped us. Clayus Brondahl, our music director. Rafael Alvarez, our post-production manager. Uh, Fernando Valladares, Valladares who um, helps, helps us choose uh, the musical interludes that we put into these. Uh, uh, Silvano Monasterios, who has who from his um, song Tropical Mirage we have uh, included the intro and outro and, uh, and also all of those who've helped us put this together so once again from the Jam Session Radio Hour thanks so much for being with us have a great evening stay well and we'll catch you next time good night mm -hmm.